morning. Yeah. Whew, yeah. Okay, so let me just say something. Uh, first of all, if you're here, I should probably bring some of you up to speed that you're new here. And first, I want to welcome our guests. I saw a few new guests this morning, man. We welcome you. I'm telling you what, and those that are joining us online, we welcome you as well. Uh, man, welcome home. I, I love, Pastor Daniel said it so beautifully, uh, welcome home. Um, if you're here, we've been on a series that we have called Marked. And we may wrap up this series next week. I'm not making any promises because I had a little bit of curveball thrown at me this week. I thought I was going to talk about Apostle Paul today and then ended up changing it all. So you just got to trust God on those things. So I've just learned to say uh, we're not going to end it next week, but I kind of think that we may because I've got something else that's already brewing in my heart. And, and I don't know, it's the struggles of a pastor, right? You got this word over here you want to speak, and you've got this word over here that's burning in your heart. But uh, Lord willing, we'll have time to get around uh, to all of it. Uh, but I do have a couple of more messages, at least in this series, that I, I want to share. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to the other messages, first of all, I want to encourage you guys. All of our messages are on our website. They're on our YouTube channel. Um, and you can, you can watch those at any point in time. But if you haven't heard the last messages, you're going to see that over the last several messages, we have looked at different people's lives that were marked. And when I say marked, what I mean is we see people who God has called them both to himself and also to do his work. And what I've said to you consistently throughout this series is, and it's what I know for 100% certainty, is that you are marked by God. You're called by God. You're called to himself and you're called to do his work. And as a matter of fact, I'd just like to say it this way, you are marked with destiny. In other words, God has set you aside for his own specific purposes. And it's when we find ourselves walking in that purpose that we experience the fullness of life that God has intended for each and every one of us. But now let me just start by saying this. Not everyone reaches their destiny. And I have to say that because culture has taught us that everyone gets a, a trophy. But can I just tell you, that's not the case within the kingdom of God. Decisions determine destiny. That's why Joshua said, choose this day whom you're going to serve. You see, if we're going to reach our God-ordained purpose, it's not going to happen by accident. Are you with me this morning, church? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, did you catch that? Run in such a way. Now, I feel like it's my job as a pastor to teach what those ways are. And for the record, they're not my ways or anything that I came up with. As a matter of fact, if it's just okay for me to be honest, uh, it'd probably be a good thing for a pastor, right? Uh, but I have to say that sometimes I even struggle with God's ways because I have difficulty obeying them, right? I do. But God's word instructs us on how we should live. And by the way, can I just say that God's word not only tells us the right way to live, but it's the best way to live. And so it's not like, oh, man, God's put me under this thing where he's this cosmic 
kill joy, and he doesn't want us to have any fun. No, see, if you believe that, then you've believed the lie, and you've bought into a counterfeit, because all the things that the world has to offer is nothing but a counterfeit for the Spirit of God anyway. Because only the Spirit of God can cause rivers of living water to flow from your innermost being. Anything else is temporary that will pass away. Are you with me? But when we're obedient to the ways that God has called us to live, we get to experience the purpose that he's preordained before the foundation of the world. And so today I want to talk about one of the ways that I know that God has called us to live. God has called you and me to be bold. Not to be those who shrink back or that step back or that look back, but he's called us. He's marked us to be those who take bold steps. As a matter of fact, if you are taking notes, I encourage you to write this at the top of your page, bold steps. And as I was preparing today's message, it dawned on me that several of the people that we looked at throughout this series were kings. And as I considered how they lived their lives, I realized that there were some key traits that marked how they led their kingdom. Those who led it well were those who put God first, and they didn't put themselves first, but they were always choosing God's way, even whenever it wasn't the popular way. But another trait I saw in them is that they were bold. And I believe that this was a very key trait in them carrying out everything that God had purposed for their lives. Now, before I get into the main points of my message, I want to just bring clarity as to what I mean whenever I say bold. Because the world has its definition of bold, but it differs from that of God's. First off, let me just tell you, if I can, what bold doesn't mean. Being bold doesn't mean being arrogant or rude. Just speaking your mind and doing whatever you want isn't boldness. That's called being egocentric. People who act this way couldn't be any further away from what Jesus modeled. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, it lists a description of what true love is. And in verses 4 and 5, it says that love is not arrogant or rude. The type of boldness that I'm talking about to you this morning, uh, Webster's defines as not afraid of danger or difficult situations. Now, I know that right there may not be maybe a big revelation to some of you, but when I read this, this is what got me excited because there was a second definition, and the second definition was quite literally just one word. It was this, free. You see, there's an association with being bold and being free. See, when we make bold steps, bold moves of faith, we're saying, I'm not going to be held captive. And I'm not going to refrain from what man says that I can do or I cannot do. And I'm not going to allow difficulty or oppression or opposition to stop me because I've been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. But I'm going to walk in his freedom. I'm going to walk in his liberty. And I'm going to take bold steps of faith. Why? Because I'm free. Come on, someone say I'm free. Write this down. Timidity is the silent acceptance of bondage. See, this is why we've got to grab a hold of the truth in John 8, 36, which says, so if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. And the freedom that we're talking about right here in this verse, it includes being 
bold. And here's why I believe that. Take a look at this scripture. Proverbs 28 and verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. See, there's a correlation between wickedness and fear on one hand, and righteousness and courage on the other. And the gospel is a message about how wicked people can get right with God through Jesus Christ and as a result have a righteousness that makes them as bold as a lion. But the scripture begins with saying, the wicked flee when no one pursues. And isn't that the very nature of fear? Maybe you've heard the acronym uh, for fear of false evidence appearing real. You see, fear takes what nine times out of ten never happens, and then the enemy uses it to keep us from moving forward. And this is one of the many reasons that whenever Jesus uh, accepts us and forgives us, that he begins to do a work in our life in such a way that he gets us to turn from wickedness. And by the way, just because I have to say this in our culture and our generation, when I talk about wickedness, I'm talking about that which is morally wrong. And only God's word gets to say what is right and wrong. Culture doesn't get to dictate that. Politics doesn't get to dictate that either. Hey, watch this. Just because something is a law doesn't make it morally right. Hello? But you see, there's a connection between living immoral and a walking in fear. And, and a perfect example of that we, we can see in the life of Adam in the book of Genesis. Adam sins against the Lord. He acts wickedly, believing the serpent rather than believing God. Then in Genesis 3 and verse 8, it says that Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And by the way, God knew exactly where they were. He just needed to remind Adam where Adam was. Are you with me? Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Now, never before did Adam have to flee at the arrival of the presence of God. But now he's fleeing when there's no one pursuing. You see, Adam had invited fear into his life when he missed the mark and when he was disobedient to God. Both Adam and Eve, now they had a bad conscience because they had sinned. You know, a bad conscience has a way of making breezes into burglars and shadows into ghosts and police into adversary and God into an enemy even when they're not. Are you with me? See, if and when we sin, a lot more happens than we realize. We don't talk about sin enough in the church, but we need to. You've heard me say this often, but sin will take you further than you want to go. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay, and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin has great consequence, church. I know that in that moment, we're thinking, oh man, this is gratif gratifying to, to the flesh. And it, can we just be real for a moment? Because sin is gratifying to the flesh. Like in that quick moment, like, like sin can be fun. And, and if you say sin's not fun, then you were doing it wrong. Okay? But understand this the price tag and the consequence of that sin is so great 
that my words can't even give adequate commentary to the price of that sin. Are, are you hearing me? That's why Jesus told the invalid who had sinned, the one that he had just healed, he says, don't go and sin anymore. Stop sinning or else something worse would happen to you. Now, friends, that's in your Bible. You can read about that. I didn't make that up. That's in John 5, 14. And I can't emphasize this point to you enough. Sin is a big deal. I mean, you better believe that it's a big deal whenever it took the Son of God being tortured and killed to remove it. Right? But the Scripture says that the righteous are bold as a lion. Now, there are more stories than there is time in order for me to read all of the great examples, whether it was Moses before Pharaoh or David with Goliath and uh, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah before King Nebuchadnezzar or Joshua at Jericho or Elijah with the prophets of Baal and Stephen before the high priest and Peter on the day of Pentecost. And of course, let us not forget Jesus as he faced the cross, but each and every one of these people had boldness as they put their faith and hope in God. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Psalm 27 and verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Church, don't be afraid of that which should be afraid of you. I'm telling you that there is nothing that drives fear into the heart of the devil like a prayed-up follower of Christ who knows who God has called him to be. Amen? And while we're talking about this, let me just throw out another nugget for you. Prayer in private results in boldness in public. And I mention this because I think that a lot of people just believe that boldness is a personality trait. But let me tell you why I don't believe that. Because my wife is an introvert. She really is. Now, if you only know her uh, publicly, like from Sunday mornings, uh, you'd think that she's an extrovert because she's bold and she'll pray down heaven. But it's the couple of hours that she spends every morning in private that causes her to be able to be bold in public. Prayer in private results in boldness in public. But can I also tell you that the opposite is true as well? Prayerlessness produces powerlessness. Let me say that again. Prayerlessness produces powerlessness. And I'll be the first to admit that in the times that I have found myself fearful, timid, or afraid are times that were preceded by a lack of time in prayer and in God's word. Hey, I don't know what you guys are currently reading in the Bible, but um, if you would like uh, a little bit of uh, an encouragement and a nudge on what to read uh, right now, um, read the book of Acts. Um, I think maybe we'll do a series on that pretty soon. Um, but the uh, book of Acts, it will challenge you to commit to more and more time in prayer because if there's one thing that we see as a consistent pattern in the New Testament church, it was their commitment to prayer. And as a result, one of the special marks of the Holy Spirit in their lives was a spirit of boldness. And church, watch this. God has called us to be bold witnesses for his glory. 
Listen to what Philippians 1, 27 and 28 says. It says to live a life that shows the worth of the gospel. Lead a life worthy of the gospel, Paul says. In other words, let your life be an advertisement for how valuable the gospel is. And then Paul said that one of the effects of the gospel and which it has on those uh, that believe it is fearlessness. He continues by saying, lead a life worthy of the gospel so that when I come, I may find you standing firm, unafraid of your opponents. See, one of the ways that our lives show forth the worth of the gospel is when the gospel makes us bold and courageous and unafraid. Now, I want you guys to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 6. I don't hear many Bibles clicking. Oh, because y'all got your phones out. Okay. I love the sound. I'm old school, right? I am 46. I think I've kind of transferred into the OG territory now, right? I love hearing Bibles. I want to encourage you guys, man. Thank God for technology. You know what? It's great like in a pinch. But I'm telling you, man, there's nothing like having the written word right there in your hands. Because you know what the Bible won't do is have a notification pop up and be, today's my base birthday. Someone tagged you. There's a new TikTok, and, you know, and, and, they, and they following you. Oh, I've got a new follower. Wow. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Your Bible isn't going to do that, but your phone will. Oh, that's free. That went in the notes. That's free, though. So I want to encourage you guys to bring your Bibles to church. Read that thing, man. Hey, man, it's good. All right. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of background information on what's happened. Uh, the king of Syria, he is trying to attack the king of Israel. But God keeps showing Elisha what the enemy is going to do, and he warns the king of Israel, which keeps messing up uh, the king of Syria's plans. And this happened a few different times, and eventually the king of Syria, he picks up on what's going on, that it's Elisha that's causing all the problems, and so he goes to seek uh, to kill his life, or to seek to kill him. And that leads me to just a couple of points, and really I just got three simple points I want to share with you this morning. But some points that, that, that you need to know whenever God calls you to make bold steps of faith. And the first point is this. Bold steps of faith will draw opposition. And I hope you already know this, but Satan is not going to just sit back and let you move forward, advancing the kingdom of God and God's purposes without coming against us and trying to stop us. By the way, can I just say, don't be concerned when you draw opposition for obeying God. Hey, resistance is a sign that you're going the right way. But rather be concerned when you don't have opposition. Like, ask yourself, why is my life not perturbing the devil in such a way that it would cause him to not come after me? I'm saying this, something to think about. Like in football analogy, we like to say it this way, like, no one tackles the person sitting on the bench. But let me share something else with you that I know that's true. God will allow, and we, we read about this when we read about Job, right? God will allow the enemy to come against us, but then he will use the very thing that the devil hoped to take us out and turn the table on him. His own device will become his destruction and your deliverance. See, oftentimes, God will prepare a table before us, right, in the presence of our enemies. And I believe that he does so just to get us close enough 
to where the enemy could get a bird's eye view of how big God is and how mighty he is to save. I mean, if I could just testify for you just for a minute, like the devil wanted to use a brain tumor to take me out. But you know what? The very thing that the enemy wanted to use to take me out, God has now used that thing. And I can't even tell you in just the last three or four months how many times, I've, man, everybody I've gone to, I'm like, hey, I got to tell you what happened. Hey, I got to tell you what happened. And guess what? God has used that opportunity to instill hope with other people. God will use that very thing that the enemy tried to use to take you out. That's the reason he said you used it for evil, but God worked it for good. His own device will become his destruction and your deliverance. I read to you earlier Philippians 1, 27 and 28, which says, Lead a life worthy of the gospel so that when I come, I may find you finding, uh, standing firm, unafraid of your opponents. But the rest of the verse goes on to say, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. You see, God is glorified whenever we take bold steps of faith. And when opposition comes, we don't flinch, but we keep moving forward trusting that God has us covered. And so don't be surprised whenever you take a bold step and opposition comes. Like 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so if you are being persecuted, there's a good chance it's because you are living a godly life. Now, back to Elisha. The king of Syria, he finds out where Elisha lives, and he goes to his house to take his life. And this is where the story picks up. It's 2 Kings 6, and we're going to start in verse 15. It says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. I want you to just to try to envision this if you could. Imagine being this servant. He's probably just, I mean, he's just stretching. It's early in the morning, the scripture says. He's wiping the, the sleep from his eye. He looks out the window, and he sees that they are surrounded by an army. Come on, how many of you guys can relate this morning? Anyone ever wake up in the morning and you feel like you're surrounded by problems, pressures, predicaments? I'm talking about being overwhelmed and you haven't even thrown back the covers yet, right? Well, this is the situation that we see Elisha's servant in. But how many of you know that whenever the enemy has a plan to take you out, God always has a plan, not just to keep you in, but to move you towards your destiny? So the servant, he sees this army with horses and chariots around him. And he goes to Elisha in 2 Kings 6, 15 and 16. And he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? Hear the fear in his voice. And then Elisha says, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, but picture this just for a moment. Imagine being the servant whenever you hear that voice, because we amen that verse as we should, because we understand what it's saying here. But just imagine being the servant. You hear that from Elijah, and you're like, um, Elisha, I'm not sure if they taught mathematics in the school for the prophets, but uh, I counted. <laughs> and we are definitely outnumbered. They're bigger than us. Listen, there comes a point in the life of every single believer who desires to do great things for God when you will be faced with something that is too big for you, where you will appear as if you are outnumbered. 
And in that moment, you'll either succumb to fear or you'll choose to be brave and move forward with what God has called you to. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Don't succumb to fear. There are more who are with us than those who are with them. Now, catch this. It doesn't say there are more of us than them. And it doesn't even say there are more with us than there are of them. It says there are more who are with us than those who are with them. You see, what Elisha right here is communicating is that this right here was not going to be a battle that's going to take place between flesh and blood. It wasn't going to be the Syrian army against Elisha and his servant. No, this was going to be a spiritual battle. And a spiritual battle is always fought with spiritual means. Which brings me to my second point. Write this down. Making a bold step means seeing beyond the natural. You say, what do you mean by that, pastor? I mean, there are some things that we can't do in our own ability. But if we can see that God is able and that God is with us, then we'll find that there is nothing too big or too great if indeed God has called us to it. Let's keep reading in 2 Kings 6, 17. Then Elisha prayed and he said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Let's stop here for just a second. I'm sure this is probably not the prayer that Elisha's servant wanted to hear. I mean, let me just think about this. I mean, he's probably thinking, Elisha, I've got 20-20 vision. There's nothing wrong with my sight here. Like, Elisha, you, you, you received a, a double portion uh, from your uh, predecessor. How about let's just uh, call down some fire from heaven and just uh, consume your adversaries and let's call it a day, right? But Elisha prays. And the rest of the verse says, so the Lord opened his eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Mm. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Can't help but getting that song in my mind. Some of y'all don't even know what song I'm talking about. Anyone under 40 is like, I have no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) Sorry. But pay attention to something because this right here is so it's such a good teaching moment right here notice that elisha didn't pray lord would you send some help help was already there help had already arrived and i just feel the unction of the spirit to say to someone right now help has arrived i know you may not be able to see it I know how you may not be able to calculate in your mind how God's going to work everything for the good. I know that you may not see how this thing is going to be possible, but perhaps the prayer that we need to pray isn't, Lord, come, but rather open my eyes to see that you are already here and you've already got me surrounded. Psalm 139 says, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my the thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in before and behind. And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to, for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. 
If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. That's a teaching moment. I'm sorry, the teacher in me has to just dive away. You know how people always say, oh, well, hell's going to be the place where God's not. Actually, if you want to be theologically correct, it says, even if I go into the depths of Sheol, behold, you are there. And could that be right there, like the worst torment of all times? Right is to know right there I could have had what's right in front of me. Not as where God is so far removed that, man, I missed him. But the scripture actually teaches, even if I go into the depths or into Sheol, you know, even there, you are there. If I rise upon the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Church, he is here. I said he is here. And when I say he's here, I don't just mean like here as in right now, but like everywhere you go, like God's presence is there. He has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And whatever problems or pressures that you face in life, don't ever forget that there are more that are with you than that that is with them. If you ever feel like all of hell is coming to get you, just remember that all of heaven is fighting for you. And if you ever doubt it, then just pray, God, open my eyes to see that you are there, that you are a very present help in the time of trouble. Hey, Paul prayed a very similar prayer. He prayed in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Lord, give us eyes to see, Amen. But now notice what Elisha does next in 2 Kings 6.18. When the Syrians come down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and he said, please strike this people with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness in accordance to the prayer of Elisha. How many of you know that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous person availeth much? I'm sorry, I memorized it in the King James. But basically, let me go ahead and give it in more modern terms. Prayer, it, it works. Prayer works. I'm telling you, it works. And we see this here with Elijah who prays for his servant to get his eyesight back. And now he's got the enemy coming against him. And he prays that they'll be struck with blindness. And that's exactly what happens. And I love this because when you think about it, what he did when he prayed that they would be struck with blindness, you can't defeat what you can't see. But faith is the ability to see the unseen. Like Hebrews, te- uh, Hebrews 11 teaches us that faith is the, hev- uh, the evidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things what not seen. And so in order for us to go where God has called us to go, we have got to have faith. We've got to see beyond what our natural eyes can see. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to mark your place in your Bible there in 2 Kings. And I want to flip back just for a moment uh, to Mark chapter 8 in the New Testament. We're going to turn back to 2 Kings here in just a moment. But here Jesus has just fed the the 4,000. He has a a brief encounter with the Pharisees. And he's about to head across the sea again. I find it interesting that Jesus is always on the move. And if Jesus was always on the move, then his people should be a people who are on the move. Amen. But in Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 16, the scripture says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had had in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another, and they said, 
because we don't have any bread. Now, here again, we have the tendency to look at things in the natural. We see the disciples doing this very thing, looking at the thing in the natural, and then not to recognize that Jesus was with them. I mean, he just got finished doing a miracle that involved taking seven loaves of bread and multiplying it to the point to where 4,000 people were fed, and then seven baskets full were left over. Can I just tell you something? If you make decisions based on your own ability and resources, you will never fully carry out God's exact purpose for your life. Catch that point. And so Jesus says to them in verses 17 through 21, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basket full of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? You see, Jesus is teaching his disciples right here to see beyond what the natural eyes can see. And I think this is where there's a neat parallel with the story of Elisha and his servant and this story here about Jesus and his disciples. The servant of Elisha looked, and because he only looked in the natural, he became fearful. The disciples looked in the natural, and they become fearful fearful. Now, immediately after Jesus said this to his disciples, watch this. Watch what happens next. You've got to catch this, man. You've got to look how the word of God just is so intricately threaded together. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It goes on to say in Mark 8, 22 through 25, they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Now watch this. Stay with me here. Catch everything that's going on. Everything that Jesus does or did in the past was for a purpose. And with the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida, I believe his purpose was to heal him, but I also believe that it was to teach something to his disciples and to teach you and I today. Remember that Jesus had just asked them, having eyes, do you not see? And what does he do? The very next thing that he does is go and heal this blind man. But something happens. The first time Jesus lays his hands on him, his sight isn't fully recovered. He could see, but he couldn't really see. Let me say that again. He could see, but he couldn't really see. And I couldn't help but to wonder if whenever Jesus laid his hands on the blind man the first time and says, what do you see? And all of a sudden, the guy sees something. I just wonder if he didn't just look over at the disciples and kind of, Give him the Jesus look, right? And I wonder if he didn't say, guys, this is you. You've got eyes, but you really can't 
see, like you can see, but you really can't see. But this is what I desire. And then he lays hands on the blind man. And the second time, he receives his sight. Now, you may say, well, pastor, that's a stretch. The scripture doesn't mention that. No, but I can promise you that Jesus wasn't lacking in faith. Like it wasn't because he couldn't do it the first time, so he had to do it a second time in order for it to take, okay? But there was a purpose for what he did. And it came right after having the conversation with the disciples about having eyes but still not seeing. Church, write this down. Our problems are not circumstantial. Our problems are perceptual. Oh, that'll set somebody free right there. Our biggest problems can be traced back to an inadequate perception and understanding of who God is and who God says that we are in him. See, I'm convinced that if we fully understood this and acted rightly based on that correct perception and understanding, that we would walk in victory in every single area of our life. Now let's turn back to the story of Elisha. If you don't know the rest of the story, Elisha then leads this blind army to Samaria where the king of Israel is and, and his whole army. And then he prays that their blindness would leave. So God restores the eyesight of their enemies and they found themselves surrounded by the army of Israel. Only God instructs them to not lay a hand on them. Kind of reminds you of David whenever he was hiding with his men in the cave and King Solomon uh, stopped to take care of business and <laughs> David could have went ahead and took his life, but he chose not to. But these examples lead us to our last point, and that is the bold step that you need to make may not be the bold step that you want to make. I got one small amen on that one. Here's what I mean. It's one thing to take a bold step of faith in doing what you want to do, but you don't feel like you have the power to do. But it's another thing when you have the power to do it, yet God says to be bold in a different kind of way. And make no mistake, there is a boldness that looks nothing like what the world portrays or celebrates or even understands. I'm talking about being bold and doing the right thing. And the right thing is always, always, always the thing that God says either to do or not to do. Now, can you imagine being the king of Israel here? You see the prophet Elisha pray for God to strike the Syrian army with blindness. Then he leads the army here to Samaria. And yes, the army did follow him because what else are they going to do, right? I mean, they're at Elisha's mercy. Uh, they knew that they could have been easily picked off one by one. And so this appeared to be a great gift from God, much like whenever David and Solomon came in. Look, here's where the Lord handed right into your, the right into your hands, David, right? But it didn't. God told them not to. The same ones who were looking to take their life, God says, don't lay a hand on them, but rather serve. <laughs> that messes me up. See, the story ends with the king of Israel preparing a great feast for their enemy and then sending them on their way back to their master. But how many of you know that if they would have fought that fight and won, that would just make them mad and then another war would come and the cycle would never end? But whenever serving came, the cycle ended. And listen to what 
the scripture ends with saying. It says the Syrians, and this is verse 23, the Syrians did not come again into the land of Israel. Wow, wow, wow. That kind of ties and dovetails in with us talking about mercy last week, didn't it? Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, then neither will the gospel. Because you see, the true test of Christianity isn't just in loving Jesus, but it's in loving Jesus. And if there's one thing that I've come to know about God, and it's what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, 8, that my thoughts are not my, are your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now let me just segue that thought by sharing this. Just as God has called us to not see things in the natural, He does not always lead us in the natural course of action either. Making a bold step says that I may not know how or why, but I know him. And I trust that God will work all things for my good and for his glory. Friends, living from that perspective will cause you to walk in your destiny. Not only that, but it will cause you to be the fragrance of Christ, both to the believer and to the non-believer. Let me bring this message to a close. Stand with me if you would. I know that God continually desires for us to make bold steps of faith. But now what that might mean for you could well be different for what it is that God is asking of someone else. But know this. God never calls us to be stagnant. God never calls us to be dormant in our faith. But rather, he has called us to go from glory to glory. And so I just want to ask, what bold step is God calling you to do? For some of you, maybe it's some of you adults and God is is calling you to go back to school, but maybe you think that you're too old. Or maybe God is calling you to apply for that job that you've always wanted, but you feel like you've not had the credentials. For others, it may be God calling you to stay at home with your kids. Or maybe it's God calling you to lead a a community group, but you don't think that you can. Or maybe it's something more like God's calling you to wake up earlier and to spend more time with him. For others of you, it's being bold in doing what you have already chosen to do. Because we have a lot of people in the kingdom of God, they start up well, but they don't finish well. And God wants finishers. He wants you and I to be finishers. But it's going to require us continually making bold steps of faith and not allow pride, fear, or just plain laziness to present an excuse for us not making that step. See, I hear people say this often. (laughs) Well, I would if I could. Ever heard that? Would if I could. No, you could if you would. I would exercise if I could. No, you would if you could. I would get up and pray in the morning if I could. No, you could if you would. I would tithe if I could. No, you could if you would. I'd like to serve if I could. No, you could if you would. Listen, the road to mediocrity is paved with good intentions, but the steps that will lead you to your God-ordained destiny are steps of boldness. So again, let me ask, what bold step is God asking you to make? Whatever it is, understand this. You can't go in faith 
where you haven't gone in intimacy. Why? Because you can't just muster up boldness. The only way that you can be bold in the face of difficult circumstances and opposition is to have faith and trust in God. And that faith and that trust in God comes only from pursuing an active relationship with Jesus. And so I just want to end our time together by asking, who is here this morning and you're not in relationship with God? I'm not asking if you prayed some prayer at church camp or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even a year ago, but you don't have a daily active relationship with Christ. You see, it's so easy for us to come to church on a Sunday morning and think that that constitutes us having a relationship with Jesus, but being a follower of Jesus Christ is so much more than that. But at its core, what it is, is it's time spent with God. It's us trusting and believing that he is who he says that he is and that you are who he says that you are. And so if you want to begin that relationship today or if you want to reignite a relationship that you once have that's grown cold, I want to just invite you right now to begin that relationship by saying yes to Jesus. By saying, God, I surrender all of who I am to all of who you are. And friends, I have to also say this. Watch this. Every life on this planet has purpose. Look, you might have been an accident to your parents, but you were no accident to God. I'm telling you, God has a plan. He has a purpose for your life, and it's for good. Jeremiah 29, 11, the prophet Jeremiah says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good, not for evil to give you a hope in a future. God has a great hope in a future. Now, you may look back at your life saying, man, things aren't looking all that good so far. Well, guess what? God's not done. Quit putting a period where God has a comma. He's still writing your story, but you've got to trust him. You've, not, you've got to not trust in your own ability, and, and, and you've got to trust in his ability to do exceedingly abundantly above all, all that you could ever ask or think according to his power which is at work within you. But you've got to be surrendered to him. You've got to make him the Lord of your life. And so I just want to ask who's here this morning. And Jesus is not the Lord of your life. Friends, this is such a big, big, big question to ask. Because the only way that we get to go to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not just for having a theological understanding of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? It's about a life that is surrendered to him, that recognize that we're born sinners in need of a savior. And we look to the cross where he shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sin and says, I look to Jesus. I put my faith and my trust in you for me to be in right standing or righteousness, right standing with God. And so if you want to be in right standing with God, I want to invite you to pray right now. Saints of God, pray with us. But those of you that you have never prayed that prayer, or maybe you have, but you've kind of walked away from God, your life has kind of caused you to veer away, I just want to ask, if you're here this morning and you say, I want to know that I can be in right standing with God, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ, friend, you can have that. Listen to me, I feel like this is for someone older for some reason who says, oh man, I know this stuff, I've prayed this prayer before. Do, Do you know that that prayer, like, it has no expiration date? Jesus said, if, even if you messed up 70 times 7, I forgive you. 
That's a lot of times in a day. Sometimes I think I've met that quota. But God says, it's not the point. I can do 700 times 7 if I want because I'm God. And yes, he can. Because though your sin are as scarlet, he will wash them white as snow. It doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter how all the, 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 the sin that's in your life and how gross you may think it is. The blood of Jesus is great enough to cleanse the deepest, darkest sin. And so if that's you and you say, I want that. I want the, the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. I'm going to ask you right now to make a bold step and raise your hand. If that's you, say, I want that. Yeah, put it up, put it up, put it up, put it up. Yeah. Okay, who else? And we're going to pray. Anyone else? Say, yes, I want that. Yeah. Praise God. I got a light shining in my eyes. I don't know how many, but I see at least a couple of your hands. So we're going to pray with those that I saw your hands and those of you that are online as well. Like you can pray that prayer right there in the middle of your living room. And you better believe that God will meet you right where you're at. Saints of God, you're going to join in with us. We're going to all right now confess our need for a Savior, okay? Pray this out loud with me if you would. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess that I was born a sinner in need of a Savior. So, Lord Jesus, I ask you to be my God. Be my king. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from them. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. That you died on the cross for my sin and the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. Just as your word says. And now I want to give my life to you wholly, fully, to know you, and to make you known, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we thank God for salvation in the house? Hallelujah. You know, every morning when we wake up, the first thing that we should do when we open our eyes is say, you know, I'll tell you, I'll let you in on pastor's life, the first thing I say every morning, thank you, Jesus, that I'm saved. Thank you, Father, that I have the promise and the hope that the things that I see in my life and all the problems and all the stuff, this isn't the way that it's always going to be. And I also just feel one more word, and I'm going to pray and dismiss you, that there is going to be a day that God will wipe away every tear from your eye, ma'am. There will come a day to where you'll have a peace that'll flood you, that'll supersede anything that you'll ever experience here on this earth. And that day will come as your faith is in him. Amen. Thank God for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen to me. If you prayed the prayer that I led you in, I want to just encourage you. There's a little banner out there that says, I have decided. It says it a bunch of times. And we want to put something in your hand. Because when you pray that prayer, there are some important next steps of things that you need to know that is very important. So please, if you prayed that prayer, Please stop. We won't take but about maybe 30 seconds of your time. We want to put something in your hand. And this is real important also, especially for those of you watching online. If you go to our website, which is Destiny Church Jacksonville forward slash Jesus, there are four videos. Each of those videos are five minutes apiece. They're me. They're teachings. I've stripped it down to what you need to know, especially if you prayed that prayer. So please check those videos out, okay? It's uh, super important. But uh, I'm going to let you go. And... Uh, 
let me just pray a blessing over you. Father, I just thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you, God, for the light that was within them, Lord God. Even when there's darkness around us, the light of Jesus is within us. Now, Lord, send us out, Lord God, as beacons. Lord, as, as, as lighthouses, Lord God, going out, Lord, just showing uh, the love of Jesus everywhere we go. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you. May he give you peace in the name of Jesus. Church, I love you. God loves you. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a wonderful week in Jesus' name. God bless you.